Hey, what's up, Warrior? It is Jeff from WarriorLife.com, and welcome to podcast episode number 421. Okay, so seriously, how do you know that you're really prepared for an SHTF survival scenario? Well, I have 10 fun ways that you can prove it to yourself and to those who are counting on you to get it right when you're called upon to be the warrior and protector that your family needs you to be. Let's talk tactics. Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. Welcome to the show that helps you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is the Warrior Life Podcast. We are live. All right. Got it going. Hey there. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jeff Anderson with the Warrior Life Podcast, executive director of warriorlife.com and the Warrior Life Academy. Um, hey, before we get started, um, I wanted to thank all of you for getting us to number one on Amazon's bestseller list with our new release of the Five Minute Survival Guide this past weekend. Um, we had a great time. We did a book launch party that was live streamed online. I had my family here. We played games with people. Um, we had a with a bunch of uh, people that showed up for the online book launch party. The, uh, the winners of the games won some some great. Uh, some great prizes. We had like, we gave away three months of survival food. We gave away an EMP survival kit uh, for your vehicle. We gave away a Henry Arms AR7. So we had a, we had a great time and it was really great to see everybody kind of show up, help us celebrate getting to number one, helping us get there. Uh, in fact, I just got this message sent to me from somebody who had just picked up a copy of the book. Uh, Jan Robertson um, wrote in and said, I received my book yesterday. Uh, before I can even read it, my wife sees it and decides that she's going to read it first because she had thumbed through it and had her interest peaked. Um, he said, this means I may never see it again. So off to Amazon, I go and order three more copies, one to give to her brother, one sent to our daughter in South Carolina, and one I hopefully will get to read tomorrow. After I finish and take necessary actions into my bug out bag, it goes. So please tell Jeff that he done good from my viewpoint. You know, thanks. Uh, no, thank you, Jan. Thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate that feedback. We had a lot of people that had submitted testimonials even before we released it out on, on Amazon for people that had had it in the past and people have found it to be a really great resource. If you haven't yet grabbed your copy, we're still offering a bunch of cool free bonuses when you grab uh, your copy. All you have to do is go on over to Amazon. It's at the lowest price possible that Amazon would even let us list it for. We don't make a single dime off of the book. Um, it's not a, a long read. It is very short. Um, anything that comes out of the proceeds of the book, if there's any money that gets sent to us whatsoever, that money goes toward our nonprofit um, operations, Save Our Soldiers, to get more veterans into our, our worry retreats our tactical healing process where we can finally free them from the effects of post uh, of, of combat related post-traumatic stress. So uh, if you're not familiar with that, please go on over to operationsaveoursoldiers.org and find out more information about our nonprofit and how you can help. Uh, now, if you haven't yet seen the book, it really is designed to give you this do this now step-by-step -step, fast action response plan to pretty much every instant disaster that's out there, anything that you can think of, from an EMP shutdown of our electrical grid to being trapped in a burning skyscraper. It's a great resource, but it's not meant to be a shelf help book that just gets tossed into your bug out bag and then forgotten. The best way to be ready to take fast, decisive action is to be prepared as best you can ahead of time, right? 
Now, this is a lesson that as hard-headed as I am, I've had to learn the hard way. Uh, some years ago, I attended a mastermind group in the mountains of Colorado, and one of our other attendees there was a celebrity on a survival-based reality television show. I don't remember his name offhand right now. Um, but for fun, he brought all the components for making a bow drill, including like really good tinder, the right wood to use, paracord that we could use for, for the bow drill, um, basically showing us how to try our hand at making a fire with nothing but the materials that we might have around us. And he showed us exactly how to do it. And he showed us exactly how easy it was because he had a flame that was popping out of his friction board, you know, in, in about a minute or so. Now, the other 20 of us gave it a try. And being a hotshot survivalist myself, I was pretty, I was pretty sure I was going to be the valedictorian of the class. Uh, long story short, 18 of the 20 of us were done trying in less than three minutes. They'd absolutely given up. They headed off to the bonfire, went to go throw back some beers, chill out a little bit. And it was only me and one other guy who kept working at it, uh, Dan. And uh, Dan and I just refused to give up. Now, eventually, I was able to get a starter flame going. But that was after about 20 to 30 minutes of frustration and really grinding this thing out. Now, Dan didn't fare as well, I don't think. But I think we were calling like my success, our success, because he didn't want to be the only one there that was trying to build a fire in the middle of the night. And I, and I get it, right? But here's the silver bullet. Unless you have actually performed a survival skill or you've carried it out as one of your, your planned tasks that you're going to use to respond to a crisis, you don't know whether or not you can really do it successfully. Now, this is what's considered the first of four stages of competency, otherwise known as unconscious incompetence. In other words, you don't know what you don't know because you can't, because you've not done something enough or maybe not even at all. And so you haven't tested your skills to make sure that you can perform them when you actually need to. The best way to find out how well you know something is to actually go out and use that knowledge. And the time to do that for the first time is not when you're lost in the middle of nowhere, miles away from your car, on some blazing hot mountain trail, hiking, and your water container is empty. Or the power goes out in your town and it stays out because the power grid was hacked and you realize that you and your family are now operating in uncharted territory for you, for them, and for all of those unprepared citizens surrounding you. I mean, even in the military, we're, we're not able to even step one foot onto the battlefield until you can prove that you can pass your common task training that covers a whole range of core foundational soldier skills. Every soldier has to know these from basic squad tactics to emergency medical response. They don't just throw us out onto, onto the battlefield in combat without testing our level of competency to even be on that battlefield. Now, that's the same system that we incorporate into our Warrior Life Academy's S3 Warrior Machine format. And after every skill development session that we pull off, we kick off a short, fun challenge. We call them mini missions. And what it does is it offers a simple way to test your newfound skills to increase your level of competence. This is how we move our all-access members from stage one of unconscious incompetence to stage two, which is conscious incompetence, when you know 
that you know that you don't know something and then you can do something about it. Um, then we move people on to stage three, where you are now consciously competent in the skill that you want to learn. In other words, you now have like the head knowledge about what to do, or maybe you're able to even perform the task, but it's not necessarily memorized or an instinctual skill yet. But then finally, our goal is to bring our members to the fourth and final stage of unconscious competence. And that's where you don't even have to think about the task anymore. You just know how to do it. It's like second nature to you. Now, this may seem like it's a daunting task, but it, it doesn't really have to be. I mean, the way that we approach it in the academy is to do what we call REMF, our training, or REMF. In the military, this stands for something entirely different. But for the Warrior Academy, REMF stands for Realistic, Efficient, Multisensory, and then Making It Fun. And those four components right there, we found scientifically, actually help you to learn a skill and master a skill faster, easier, and less time than any other method that's out there, including block training and like long drawn out training, even even hoorah weekend training events and workshops that you go to. Um, in fact, let me go ahead and with this podcast, I want to give you 10 REMF ways that you can challenge your skills and your survival plan so that you can see which stage of competency you're really in for these tasks. And then you can make a plan for leveling up whatever you need to focus in on for your efforts based upon whatever the results are of you being able to do or not do some of these tasks or the lessons that you learn in them. So let me give you 10 REMF challenging survival scenarios that you can give a try here for, all right? So the first one is making a fire outdoors. Now, again, what we'd look to do is take you from wherever you are currently at, and then we want to challenge you from that point. So one of the keys of our Academy's REMF training model is that your training should be realistic but also just challenging enough that it pushes you to learn the skill and enjoy it too. But it shouldn't be too challenging that you just get frust frustrated and you just give up. I mean, think about all those people that went to the uh, the mastermind that I was at, like 18 of the 20 gave up within three minutes. It, it was too challenging for them. And they didn't feel a need to actually learn it, to really master it, to even see if they could do it. Beer in a bonfire was way more important. So what you want to do is you want to start off with wherever you're currently at. So if you've never made a fire before whatsoever, then you start off with making a fire outdoors safely in a fire pit with you've got some paper there, you have some kindling and you have a lighter. But from that point on, you want to go ahead and take away those resources that you would have to get to as realistic a scenario as possible. Now, I'll tell you when I, I was always um, in in Boy Scouts, even as a as a kid myself, but then I was also the a scout leader for um for two of my of our uh, my three sons and for Tristan I spent most of the time there as one of the scout leaders and one of the times that we were out at the summer training the summer camp um one of the the skills was he had a bunch of different uh scout troops out there and there was a contest of see who could start a fire with the uh the ferro rod with flint and steel essentially and the kids were trying it and trying it and trying it uh, they were able to build fires with lighters. Like we let the boys build the fires for cooking at night or for just staying around at night. Um, we let them do that with a lighter. But then when it got to where it was just, they had to do it with sparks off of a ferro rod. 
Um, it wasn't going very well. I'll tell you right now. Uh, the kids were all huddled around. My son was over by me, just kind of snickering because he's done it before. And we let them kind of go for a little while. Somebody had already won. So it wasn't like we, were, we weren't going to get first anymore. So my son went in there and he's like, let me give it a try. The kids were really frustrated that they weren't able to do it. And within just a few minutes, my son was able to start that fire with a ferro rod because he had that training. But he had leveled up. I've taught him how to build fires, how to structure the wood, how to structure the kindling, what kindling to find. There's a lot that goes into that. But you might not ever know that unless you go and give it a try yourself. Now, again, you want to take things away as much as you possibly can. So even if it gets down to using a bow drill, go ahead and give yourself a try there and see just how difficult it can be. A lot of people think that they're just going to figure it out. You just rub some sticks together and you're going to be perfectly fine. Not happening. Not happening, man. Okay. Uh, the second fun challenge you can do is to try your hand at land navigation. Now, when I was in the military, like land navigation was my thing. I loved land navigation. Now I'm great on foot. I was light infantry. I was 10th mountain division. Like we were always using a map and a compass. And you'd be surprised at just how many preppers out there have a compass on them, but have never actually had to use it to navigate from one point to another. And so this is going to be a big wake-up call for a lot of people. Now, there is instruction that you can get. There are some DVDs that are out there, um, some books that you can get. There are some military manuals that you can probably pick up really easily on like eBay. And it will teach you how to do all these things. I highly recommend that you actually take a class because it does help to have somebody that really knows what they're doing. They can show you. You have, uh, you have them to bounce questions off of. And hopefully they're also going to have some sort of a course set up that they can take you on that you can navigate using your new skills to go from one point to another. Now, as I said, when I was in light infantry, like this was my thing. I could always get us right to the very specific spot that we were going to. It didn't matter what the, what the terrain was, whether it was desert terrain or whether it was in the jungles of Panama, it didn't matter. Um, however, the first time that I had to ride on top of a mechanized vehicle, uh, so for 113, I, I can tell you that I got lost very easily once we were on roads. Uh, there were roads that went off that weren't on the map, and it was really kind of difficult. So I'm way better on foot than I ever have been in a vehicle. Now, I'm not talking about using a GPS. I'm talking about actually using a map. So you should get a topographical map of your area. And one thing you can do is look for a large local park or some Bureau of Land Management land that you have access to. Um, but you don't want to go too far off into the wilderness to go ahead and test these skills. I mean, you want to make sure that you're boxed in by some major roads so that if you do get lost, you know that if you just keep walking, you're going to hit one of those major roads and you can follow those roads back to wherever you started from. So this isn't something you just want to you want to find out the hard way. Oh, I guess I suck at land navigation. Now I'm lost and I don't have any gear with me. So you definitely want to uh, make sure that you're doing this safely and you don't need that large of an area. What your goal here is just see how far you can travel, even if it's just a couple of clicks, a couple of kilometers out there. Your goal is to find a very specific spot. You're not just going to an area like, let me go find this mountain or let me go find this, um, this stream. What you're looking for is like a turn in the stream, a very specific turn in the stream, something that you can identify on that map as a specific spot that you can you can figure out your pace count. You can figure out um, how to declinate your uh, your compass and your map and make sure that they're all everything's lined up so that you know you're going in the right direction here. 
those are all skills that you're not just going to get out of the the little guide that comes probably with your uh, with your with your uh, compass. So it's a great great way for you to really kind of narrow. It's a very critical skill, I think, but not not enough people are really giving it a try. Nobody's really doing it. All right, all right. So uh, the the challenge number three is to go on a camp out. Again, you can start wherever you're at. If you've never been camping before, or if you have family members who have maybe never been camping before, and you want to slowly acclimate them to more of the survival skills and the knowledge that you have, you can start just in your backyard with a tent. Head if if you have like little little kids, you can start in the living room with a tent, and you can just have like a a, a camp out in your living room. But preferably what you want to do is maybe go in your backyard and then use a poncho or some other improvised shelter that you can create and then actually stay out there. Ultimately, what you want to do is you want to work your way up to a more remote camping experience where um, you can go and rely on less and less gear or those luxury items that you bring like your, your, your propane stove and things like that. You want to make sure that you are increasing the challenge each time you go to make it more interesting, to make it more fun, but then also to keep pushing your skills to make them uh, more solidified in in your mind. The further you're going to push your skills, all the stuff underneath that, that's where you get to that unconscious competence because you're way past that. When you're way past that, you're, you're going to be good to go. I mean, I can tell you that every time I went out on campouts with my son's Boy Scout uh, troop, I didn't bring a tent with me. I would always just put up my hooch the same way I did in the military. It's just my military poncho, some bungee cords, a few uh, titanium uh, tent poles or tent stakes. And I had a blow up. Um, I had a blow up uh, phone like mat that I could use. And then what I slept in was not a sleeping bag. It didn't matter how cold it was. I brought my tack bivy with me, which if you don't know what that is, it's a mylar sleeping bag. It's meant for survival purposes. But I learned by going through that process how cold I can let it get at night before I get really cold, what to wear inside of that, um, how to put a liner inside of that bag because because it's mylar, it's not made of cloth, you're going to sweat. And so I also learned how do I keep myself from sweating too much so I can stay just warm enough inside of it but not get wet that's going to put me in further danger of getting cold because now I'm wet and as it evaporates or the the cold you know, catches up to my body and the skin there, then yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to be colder there. So I learned a lot by going through that process. Also, I've heard people say it only lasts, you know, it's only for like a single use. No, it's not. I have used that thing for up to two weeks, attack bivy as my sleeping material. That's it. That's it. Two weeks I did too. So um, again, I've, I've, I hear people say that I've, I've heard, I heard a couple of podcasts where people have talked about that. And I'm like, you never took this out and actually tested it. This is all just bullshit. That's what pisses me off out there. People putting out stuff that they don't even know about because they just they're just regurgitating something or they just think it's a certain way. Go go test your stuff. Go test your stuff. All right. All right. Uh fun challenge number 4 is to try cooking without electricity or any other fuel source that you would normally use like propane or however you normally cook food in your house. But the key here is also without electricity. So you might find out by mistake or through this process that all those canned goods that you've been stockpiling, they're not as easy to open up without your electric can opener. When that's not an option, what are you going to use? Are you going to use a knife? 
Um, I can tell you, I have seen people try and open up canned goods with a, like a survival knife and they hit down on top of it. And sometimes if it's a, if it's a folding blade, I've seen that thing just fold or break. Other times I've seen that thing go out of control. Like you go to hit it and it bounce, basically it, it takes the whole can. And I've seen people cut themselves by trying to do that. A simple P38 can opener um, is all you really need. But how, do you know how to use that thing? Does it even work? One of those little hand things works so much so much better, right? Um, or you might find out that the sterno cups that you've you've been using, you're like saving up to heat things that they don't last as long as you think they should, as thought as much as long as you thought they would, even. So, um, so go and try and cook some of the food that you have that way and try different types of food. Try cooking a steak. How are you going to cook it? Can you do it with something solar? Again, keep trying to take away new things, make it easy for yourself, but still challenging, um, just challenging enough to make it interesting and where you feel a sense of success, but then keep trying to make it a little bit more challenging from there. All right. All right. Fun challenge number five is to find a new wild water resource near you. So if there's no water coming out of your faucet or if it gets contaminated, where are you going to get water from in your local area? Are you going to rely on somebody coming to save you of the Red Cross or FEMA's coming to bring potable water to you in military trucks? If you do, what about all the other people that are going to go there? Do you really want to expose yourself there? Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. But if you don't have that option, where are you going to get drinkable water from? Or how are you going to make water drinkable? So what you want to do is try and find a wild resource near you. Now, this is, again, where your topographical maps are going to come in very handy, because you can find streams, you can find reservoirs, you can find other water sources around you that you might not have even noticed were there, but now you can see them on your topographical map. You may even go to those locations and find that there's no really, there's not really any actual water there, that it might just be a wet weather stream instead. You might also find out that you don't have the right filtration system in place. Um, to make that found water drinkable. One thing you can do, again, to bring your family into this as well, is to make a contest out of it with them. So anybody that's of able you know, age and is able to go out there um, and, and be able to wander around close by home, um, go out with a container, a one-gallon jug, like a milk jug, and the first person to come back home with one gallon of a good source water. Now it's not going to be clean water. You need to purify it, but that's going to be the second part of the process there. But what you're looking for is something that doesn't have solvents in it, doesn't have gasoline in it, doesn't have oil. You can't see any like any slick oil slick floating on top of it. It's got to be something. It can come from a stream, anything like that. But there are ways to filter that out. But the first step is finding where that source is. And maybe the first person that comes back with a gallon of good source water, maybe they win the first choice of which movie gets watched on, you know, the weekend for movie night with your family. Like, but make it fun. Okay, the sixth challenge is to make your toilet and your shower off limits for an entire weekend. Now, this was one of the biggest wake up calls that I had in my first experience in combat. And what we Basically, my my first experiences in combat were in an urban terrain. And I mean like a progressive city. We're not talking about like an Afghanistan village somewhere. We're talking about in an actual real city in urban environments. And when it, the whole city was shut down because of the battles that were going on, nobody was coming to work. That included the sanitation workers. It included the water treatment workers. Nobody was coming to work. 
And so what ended up happening was people's sewer systems failed in the city. And what I learned was that people don't stop. They don't stop going to the bathroom. They just let the shit pile, literally pile up. We're to the point where you have to stand on top of the toilets. We found people taking a shit in office space. Like it's, it's just, it's crazy what, where people will go to the bathroom when they, when, all of a sudden when the toilet does not work. Same thing with a shower. How are you going to, you know, keep your, your hygiene going when you don't have a shower to take a shower in? So how are you going to do this? Now, there are lots of ways that you can easily take care of the sanitation problem, but is it something you've even thought about? Or do you just think that you're going to be able to use the toilets in your house because you're going to survive in place or just go out in the woods and dig a dig a, a cat hole and go in that? Maybe you can, maybe you can't, but take a whole weekend and try and figure out how you're going to do that. All right. Uh, fun challenge number seven is moving to your bug out location. I'm I'm sorry. What was that? I didn't hear you there. What? Oh, you don't have a bug out location. When were you going to plan for one? Now I find that I I know a lot of people don't have one because they ask me, like, how do I choose one? So people know that they should have one, but if you've not done it yet, like, what are you waiting for? This is your opportunity. So you want to choose where that is and. You want to make sure that you can get there. How much fuel are you going to need to be able to get there? Um, you might find that with a half a tank of gas, you can find out where you get to. And are there going to be gas stations in that area? Are you going to be in the middle of nowhere if you are leaving on a half a half a tank of gas? Are there places where you can cash? Um, and I mean that like C-A-C-H-E, you can cash fuel in certain locations. I used to have this when I was living in Texas. Now I live in Florida. A little bit of a different game plan here, but you might be able to cash fuel along the way that will be the, that will last there with, with stabilizer for one to two years. And then you can go ahead and you can plan out how you're going to continue on your trip because without electricity, gas pumps aren't going to be there either, right? They're not going to work. So how are you going to get there? Now to level this up and make it more challenging, do it on a Friday afternoon at 4.30 PM during rush hour traffic because that's going to really start to show you where your choke points are. And this is simulating like a mass exodus, a, a people getting out of Dodge. They're all trying to evacuate at the same time. And you'll see what it's like there. You'll also be able to tell where, if you have a four-wheel drive, like where you would be able to get off the road and where you wouldn't be. And these are all things that you want to mark off on your map as you're going on your way to your bug out location. So you might want to do this first without any sort of like, challenges in the way there. Just see how many miles is it really? How much gas do you really need with your vehicle? Um, take two vehicles so that this is simulating a true bug out where you and your spouse maybe, or some other person that's in your team, you both have different vehicles, maintaining communication. Then you can find out how far apart you can be and still have commo. There's a lot you can really do with this, but only if you do it. All right. Okay. Uh, fun challenge number eight is to go hiking with your bug out bag. So this is another thing where, you know, people will load up their bug out bags with everything but the kitchen sink. Um, I can tell you from being in the light infantry and having to actually hump a rucksack for many, many miles. In fact, we used to do a hundred mile road march uh, once a year. And I can tell you that you really learn how to strip down your, your bug out bag to the very lowest that you can possibly get. The video that I have on YouTube, which, which is a uh, combat veterans 
um, bug out bag, or um, I'm sorry, ultralight bug out bag, I go through uh, the 26 pound uh, bug out bag with the essentials in there. And a lot of that stuff could be thrown out also. You can really get your the uh, the the weight down on your pack. But if you are in better shape, you can carry more. Um, I'm in I'm in good shape, so I can carry more with me, which gives me more access to provisions. It allows me to um, it allows me to take more luxury items with me that other people might not. But you have to figure that out for yourself. You know, you I, I would say don't start off again where you're trying to do too much. You want to start off with a safe starting distance that you're going to try, whether that's one mile. It depends upon how fit you are. I can tell you that. Um, you know, if you try and go, if you try and push it too far and you're not really prepared for it, um, you don't want this. These aren't lessons you want to learn the hard way. I can say that when we were in 10th Mountain Division, we did um, did a hundred mile road march. We went through five gallons a day per person, five gallons a day. Now that was including water that we might use for hygiene, but we weren't taking showers. We were literally just washing ourselves like with a washcloth, maybe. Um, or we be using it for like heating up our MREs, making stuff like that. But essentially, most of that was going into just being able to hydrate because we were sweating so much that literally our uniforms, our BDUs were caked in white salt, salt that came out of our body. So the electrolytes we were losing also. So those are other things that you're going to find out is how much water are you going to need? How fast can you go? Like how long does it take you? Like how far can you go per hour? Um, what about taking breaks? Did you? What about socks? Are you getting blisters? How do you take care of blisters? You're going to find those things out, and better to do it now than when you actually have to. All right. You might also find that that free bug out bag that you got for like free plus shipping actually just royally sucks. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, it does. Um, or that you need to adjust your bug out bag to make sure that it fits you better, or or maybe change how you're packing it. Um, I mean, I could go on forever here. This is really like one of my my key items here and where I have the most expertise, which is why I created like a bunch of videos for our ex-Bob bug out bag clients on tricks that um, that I learned in the military for making this a lot easier for you. Um, so anybody that has the ex-Bob, make sure that you definitely go in, check out that video training that goes along with the, uh, the bug out bag and, um, and definitely check that out. It's all coming straight from my military training. All right, fun challenge number nine is to apply a field dressing and a practice tourniquet on a training partner. And then you want to level that up and try doing it on yourself. You have to remember here, you are going to be your own first responder, most likely, okay? And a lot of people have these whiz-bang emergency medical kits and trauma kits and IFAC kits, and um, I've got a giant uh, kit, but I was, a, I was a combat medic also in the military. So um, I've... I've got the training to use a lot of that stuff, but a lot of people are carrying things that they have no idea even how to use it. So why would you carry it if you don't know how to use it, especially when every single little ounce counts when you've got it on your back? You've got to make sure that you know how to do this, even to yourself, even how to put on a tourniquet yourself. There are one-person tourniquets out there, and they're practice tourniquets also. But do you know how to do those things? They're not that hard to do. But the last thing you want to be doing is trying to read the instructions or try and look up on your phone how to put on a tourniquet on your daughter or your son or your granddaughter or your grandson, and they're bleeding out in front of you, and you don't know how to use this thing. So try going ahead and using that on a, on a training bar. Now is a really good time also because 
Halloween is here and you can get some very good training aids from the Halloween store uh, for, you know, cuts and gashes and wounds and things that you would normally wear for a costume. You can use them now for medical training as well. All right. The final uh, fun challenge that I've got for you here is to sign up for an afternoon of paintball. Now, my son Tristan and I loved hitting the paintball field, and you really can learn a lot about team defense dynamics, um, tactical movement against an enemy force. You can really learn a lot when you're going up against another force on, on, the, um, on the paintball field. Uh, I did a whole podcast on this topic with some additional tips um, all the way back in podcast episode number 64, if you want to go back and you want to listen to that. Um, there's some really great tips in there and things that you should be looking at as you're as you're going through and you're and you're fighting on the paintball field. Some things to be aware of, things that are going to help you. Um, I can tell you that being able um, to be hit with a paintball marker ups the realism bit because it hurts. And so it's unlike using using something like dry fire or something that doesn't actually shoot out a projectile. Like it does hurt when you get hit with a paintball round. In fact, one of the games that we play is Superman, where if you get hit, you're not out. Like the only way you get out is when you give up. The thing is, is that I never give up. Like I've had people like you're not supposed to hit somebody within 10 feet because it hurts too much. I've had people come up right up on me, like point blank range and just start nailing me with the paintball gun. I'm not giving up. I leave with welts. I leave with black and blue marks, but quit isn't even in my vocabulary. Now I turn around, I have my paintball marker and I'm pinging them one or two shots. They give up, they're out, done. So, uh, so there's a lot you can learn, but it ups the realism here. I mean, this adds in our REMF factor of multi-sensory because it actually adds multi multiple sensations in a number of different ways. So you can give your, you can give, this is going to give you skills that you're not going to get just going down to the local gun range, even and shooting your rifle or your handgun. It's going to be even more realistic than that. And my son and I have incorporated things like two man communication skills, using terrain to our advantage, um, even how to use smoke grenades for concealment on those fields that will let us use those sorts of things. So yes, it does take some balls, but it's one of, you know, the foundational quotes that we have for the Academy's first level of the, of the S3 warrior machine um, is in what we call the, the backbone category. And that is seek the suck, like get outside of your comfort zone and really challenge yourself. Yes. It's going to hurt. Yep. Seek the suck. Go do it. The payback could just be your life or the life of somebody that you love. All right. All right. Well, that wraps up this week's podcast. And now it's time to hear from you. What other fun ways can you think of to practice your skills to really put your knowledge to the test? I'd really love to hear your input. So please leave a comment wherever you are enjoying this podcast material. Uh, we're now streaming on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, as well as on our own website in a special section that you can find there at warriorlife.com slash podcast. Also, if you want the cheat sheet, Got a one-page uh, one handy little cheat sheet that'll be coming out for this as well. You can find that in the Loot Locker uh, area of our Warrior Life Academy. It is absolutely free to, for you to go in and get that. All you have to do is go on over to warriorlife.com slash loot, L-O-O-T, and that will take you to where you can go ahead and sign up. You can get access to that area of our website, and there's a bunch of great resources in there for you that follow our REMF training model 
And uh, you're going to be able to put those into use in whatever training you're doing to make sure that you can learn faster and make your skills more readily available to you when you actually need them. All right. So go check that out over at warriorlife.com slash loot. And until our next episode, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train and survive. You've been listening to the Warrior Life Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us spread the mission of self-reliance and self-protection when you rate us. And leave us a comment wherever you enjoy these podcasts. And don't forget to check out our posts and videos on our social media channels. You'll see a full directory when you visit our website at www.warriorlife.com. We'll see you next time. This has been the Warrior Life Podcast. Prepare. Train. Survive.